We want to dig into God with us, our Christmas, Christmas season, and uh, everyone, everyone to do something with me. Everyone take a real deep breath and let her out. And the second thing I want you to do with seriousness, not with comedy, with seriousness, I want you to make sure you just look around, find somebody, look them right in the eyes, and just say, I see you. Okay? You may have to look in front of you, behind you. <laughs> and so, all you had to say was, I see you, nothing else. Okay? Zip it. <laughs> Zip it. Why is that so significant? I want to challenge you everywhere you go this Christmas season, see people. See them. Pause and just notice people. Loneliness and despair grow in this season. As a, as a Christ follower, you are the antidote to that wherever you go. You're not the savior, but you can see people. So don't just, don't just get angry at the person in front of you who's taking forever at a line. See them. Don't just see the person who's overwhelmed at maybe the store that you're at and what they're not doing. See them. It's not about you. It's about his story, and you're a messenger of it everywhere you go. Craig Rochelle, who's a pastor, once said, you don't always have the power to control, but you always have the power to surrender. And what we surrender to is of some significance. We can surrender to hope or hopelessness, faith or fear, wonder or worry. But I think if we're actually honest, it's not binary like that. It's not faith or fear, it's a mixture of both. It's not wonder or worry, again, it's both together. There's very seldom in my life where I don't have a collision of two things or three things occurring simultaneously. And again, this is of significance because, if you will, our, our faith follows our focus. It doesn't fo follow our, just our beliefs or our, our, our set dreams or the things that we should believe. It follows what we focus upon. And this is a principle, but I want to be abundantly, abundantly clear. And so please hear me with both ears and your whole heart. This message of Christmas is not what you do. The message of Christmas is what Christ alone could do for you. It is a rescue mission. The message of Christmas is not about trying to grab some spirit and muster it up so that you would have it. No, it is about being honest and confessional if you don't and let God minister to your heart. The message of Christmas is not you do, it is Christ did. It's a rescue mission for me and for you. And the Christmas is the story of a perfect God meeting us in the depth of our inescapable, profound imperfections. And so let's begin by telling the origin story of Christmas by setting the scene and giving you just a little context in how Hebrew stories are written. They're often constructed in the Bible. It has been hundreds of years of God being present yet silent in history. It's remarkable how a God who is omnipresent, who is everywhere, still says, seek me, and if you seek me with all your heart, you will find me. So a God who is everywhere seemingly knows how to hide to draw out our seeking. 
And so God has been silent for hundreds of years, not tens of years, hundreds of years in human history. And Hebrew stories, here's what I want you to understand, because even when, you say, when I say God is silent, it does not mean that he is distant, not enacting, or not moving. And so at the top in Hebrew stories, there's always the big picture of how God is at work. Especially when we get into the Old Testament next year, that gets, it's the heart of how God is at work. That's the top part of the story. The middle part of the story is how God was redeeming a people for his name. First, exclusively Jewish. Secondary, Jew, uh, Gentiles are grafted in to a Jewish tree or Jewish branch, if you will. And then the last one, the final one, is the individual narrative specifics. So he's, here's how he's working in David's life and Esther's life. And so when we say, in the intertestament period between the Old Testament and the New that God is silent, what we are talking about is at the bottom level. God is always at work at the top level and God is always at work at the middle level. It's just sometimes we can't see him at work in our individual stories. And when we can't see God at work in our individual stories, that is where sometimes dangerously our faith follows our focus. Our beliefs are around not what we can trust God to be doing, but our belief and our trust and our faith becomes, God, I can't see that you are good, or I can't see what you're doing here, and we get anchored there. And so God, as he does, he breaks through the barrenness of silence in a very familiar way in the origin Christmas story. And we see it again today. This God at work redemption story is evident in the lives on the bottom level in the Old Testament with Abraham and Sarah, a couple that is barren who cannot conceive. And in a moment of time, they experience this God at work breakthrough of conception. In Luke chapter one, verse five, we're gonna see a similar repeating story in the origin Christmas story, and it says, in the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And, and you gotta hear this, here's what it says. Luke writes this so intentionally. They were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. They weren't perfect, but they were walking right before the Lord and they still experienced hardship in life. If you go through hardship and somebody ever says to you, why don't you have more faith? Understand that is their spiritual immaturity. Don't take that yoke on your shoulders, okay? That's their, that's their issue projected onto you. It's not your issue. Elizabeth and Zechariah are walking blamelessly, not sinless, but they're walking obediently before the Lord, but they are still barren. And this is not a daily problem for them. It's a decade-old pain. And they're advanced in years, it says. After generations of silence, the greatest chapter in our redemption story begins. And it begins with an impossibility a barren couple, just like we see in the Old Testament with Abraham and Sarah. It's one story cover to cover. Elizabeth and Zechariah have been praying to God for a child, and God, who has remained silent from their perspective, is a God who hears and answers prayer. 
And it says in Luke chapter one, verses eight to 13, now while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. So God is now about to do something in the life of Zechariah and Elizabeth, but everybody outside the tent is gonna take notice that something has happened even if they don't know what. Here's what I want you to know. Where God begins to work in your story, others will take notice when they don't actually know what has happened. They can begin to see something has happened. We see it all the time at Life Center. People come in for the very first time and they say, man, there's just an energy in this place. They just don't know that the energy's name is the Holy Spirit. And that's okay. That's okay. Some people come in to church and they say this, I don't know why, but every time I get in here, I cry. We know why. It is God beginning to work on something in your heart. You just don't yet know where. Welcome to the story. Welcome to the story. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. That's unique. And Zechariah was troubled. I love how Luke writes that. (laughs) Just like really, really like low key. Zechariah was troubled. (laughs) How many of you know that if you saw an angel of the Lord, you would be more than troubled? (laughs) And if some of you are like, no, 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 I pray for that every day. Okay. I pray a revelation angel with the blinking eyes everywhere shows up by your bedside and then your response will be like, I am greatly troubled. My favorite thing is the pretending that the eyes aren't blinking at the same time. That would be awesome. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid. Okay, so for some of you right now, this is a moment of discernment. And I want you to grab it because it's a gift for you from God, not me. When God moves in your life in unexpected ways, Sometimes our initial response is fear. When God asks you to do something that feels too big, he asks you to take a step of trust that feels beyond what you can do. Your first response is fear. And I want you to see, because this story is repeated not once, not twice, hundreds of times in scripture. Zechariah is doing what he normally does at his job. An angel of the Lord shows up. He is filled with fear. And immediately God says to him, do not be afraid. Loved ones, wherever God is at work, even if your initial reaction is fear, let God calm your fear. We have a spiritual enemy who will play on your fear. God never will. Because he's good. Because he's kind. And he knows that if your fear is not met by the words, don't be afraid, you will fixate on that and not on him. And so he calms it. Your spiritual enemy knows if you fixate on your fear, the the opposite will happen. You will not focus on him. And it's why he plays. Loved ones, in the power of Christ, do not let the enemy play in your story. 
Fear is a part of every human story. The word of the Lord is do not fear. Do not fear. Why? He's with you. Do not fear, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear a son, and you shall call his name John. So Gabriel, sent from heaven, talks about a child that will be conceived. Not yet. She will bear you a son, and his name will be John. Hold that. Notice how Zachariah's faith, if you will, follows his focus. Zachariah said to the angel of the Lord, how will I know, how shall I know this? Now he's a smart man, watch how smart Zachariah is. For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. That's a smart man right there. He didn't say, my wife and I are old. He doesn't know if the angel's gonna go show up to Elizabeth and repeat verbatim. I'm old. She's advanced in years. <laughs> Zachariah, one of the original feminists. <laughs> He's just a smart man. He's just a smart guy. Zechariah is a priest in the temple offering incense and prayers to God, and an angel shows up by the altar of incense. And of all he could have focused on, he, is, he struggles in this moment like, because he, he narrows his focus to what he and Elizabeth have for years been unable to do. Not in what God promises, God is just about to do. And this doesn't make Zechariah a terrible person, this makes him a human being. You can become so comfortable in a circumstance that you resist where God begins to bring change. You and I can also be so confined to a season that we'd rather stay than trust forward. Why do we pray for blessing or healing or breakthrough when sometimes if we just went on experience, we would be like, why bother? Why do we? Because we never know where God is at work that's this level. You know what the greater level is? If God says he is Bill Parazim, he is the master of the breakthrough, then I trust that's exactly who he is. When God says that he is Jehovah Rapha, he will heal our body, that is exactly who he is. And he will heal either on earth or in eternity. And either way, he'll get the glory because it's who he is. So the question sometimes is not why do you pray, the question is what would happen if we didn't pray? We just engage by faith. And Zechariah is struggling with this. Because again, what we surrender to holds some significance, but not the ultimate definition. I wanna remind you that Zechariah, yeah, he has a little stumble moment here where he doesn't trust God. He doesn't trust what the angel is saying God's gonna do for a lot of different reasons. He has a little stumble, stumble moment here. But Luke is not writing the story of Zechariah. He's writing the story of Jesus included in the story of Zechariah. Why do I say that? Again, and I say this lovingly, Christmas is not about you, nor is it about me. It's not your story, and it's not my story, and it's not a Canadian story, it's God's story. Yeah. 
And God's story is that we needed rescue. The story of Christmas is not the perfection of your tree and what is under your tree. The story of Christmas is about a baby in a manger who would hang on a tree perfectly for me and for you. It is not what you do, it is what he has done and what he's going to do. And why do I say that? Because you may have the Christmas of your dreams or you may experience profound disappointment and you're gonna need to preach to your that regardless of my experience this Christmas, it is a season of joy because of Jesus. Preach to your soul. Preach to your heart. Preach to your circumstance. You may not have a preacher there. You preach to yourself. And I'm not asking you to live in delusion or delial. I'm asking you to anchor into a story that is greater than yours. This is the story of Christmas. Where Zechariah loses focus, God, God doesn't. He remains forever fixed. It's not like God pulls back and says, well, you had a little bit of unbelief, Elizabeth, you're gonna remain barren. It's not how God works. When God says it, he's gonna fulfill it, even if we stumble along the way. When Zechariah is unfaithful, God is faithful. After all, it is who God is. And it says, after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden saying, thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among the people. Listen to the pain of Elizabeth's story. Reproach is not an easy word. I also think that there's a comical thing here that some of you, if you're in relationship with a man, you may also pray like Elizabeth that God may do this in your story. Elizabeth, uh, Zechariah has a moment where God says, this is what I'm gonna do, and Zechariah goes like, ah, I don't really know if you can do that. And then the angel says, well, from this moment until the birth of your son, John, you're going to be silent. And Elizabeth says, God, you have heard my prayers. (laughs) How wonderful is your name. Oh, holy are you. And Zechariah says, nothing, because he can't. (laughs) And there was peace in the marriage that day. (laughs) God with us. So in person beside you and say, that's not very funny. I think it is in Zechariah's story. I don't find it as humorous in my own, but I think it's funny in Zechariah's. Now the story shifts, and I want to just highlight a couple of things here really, really quickly, and they're going to be like notes in a song that are played and moved on, and I think that there's depth to them. I think there's actually profound depth to them, but I'm not going to drill the depths. I want you to see a God who breaks through in a story from conception. As God begins to break through the silence, he begins with a couple who is unable to conceive. Because new life in the beginning is incredibly vulnerable and it's it's the ultimate form of humility in the form of the story of Christmas. And now the story's gonna shift to another couple, not who cannot conceive, but who should not now conceive. Because they're betrothed and they're not yet married. That's more on that next week. 
And so Luke is inviting us to contrast these two stories that, that in a way, sometimes God is gonna answer a prayer and you're gonna struggle with, like, how, what does this mean now? And other times, he is gonna break into your life and he has no concern of your comfort, but he's fixated on his purpose. You know, Zechariah should have been elated. God has heard and answered his prayer. Uh, Mary could have been profoundly distraught because she receives something that she has never prayed for. Mary expresses similar emotions, fear and deep trouble, but she keeps her focus on God. And here's what it says in Luke chapter one. The angel said to her, here it is again, do not be afraid. Pause. Everything in Mary's life just got turned upside down. Don't sanitize the story. Think of her reputation in her village. She's a teenage girl. You say, well, she hasn't processed it to that level. How many of you know that the moment you get the word that your life goes upside down, you process everything in a nanosecond? But what does God do? Same thing. Don't be afraid. God always, where he is at work, calms fear instantly. It is your spiritual enemy again who whips us into fear. Resist him, loved ones. Mary, you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will call his name Yeshua. You will call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be, which is a very common name. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. This is now an exclusive. And the Lord will give to him the throne of his father David, prophecy, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, prophecy, one story, Old Testament here, and of his kingdom, the angel says, watch, 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 of his kingdom, there will be, which means his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven in 2023. He is still a king. This story doesn't have an ending just as he ascends. His kingdom will have no end. It was the beginning of a redemption story unlike which the world had ever known. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? In Zechariah's story, in a Mary's story, an angel is sent from heaven and says to Zechariah, you're gonna name your baby boy John, and to Mary, you're gonna name the one that is in your womb, Jesus. I want you to know from the God of heaven, identity matters. It matters. But I also want you to notice the subtle change in their response to where God is at work. Zechariah has a, uh, how can I trust this to be true? And Mary has a response of, how are you gonna do this? And these are really different responses. Let me break it down one level for you. It is okay to wonder how God is going to do something. That is still anchored faith. The book of James says our faith can become, though, like a ship that gets tossed to and fro when we shift from 
or when we shift from God, how are you gonna do this, to God, I don't believe this is who you are. Profound difference. Zechariah, in a sense, is looking and saying, well, we can't do this, so it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And Mary simply says, God, I trust who you are, but how are you gonna do this? Faith that remains anchored in God, but wonders, like a human would, how? Are you gonna do this? You may be out of a job. God is provider. How? A million questions and prayers and conversations. Keep your faith rooted in who God is. But yeah, you've got all the human ability to go. You may be single and you wanna you know, get married. You, you, you root your heart in like, how? Good, that's okay. All the while, God, you are good. And I'm gonna trust your timing. See the difference? It's subtle, but it's profound. It's really profound. And Mary said, behold, I think it's powerful, statement of identity. Mary says, her posture is, I'm a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And then the angel departed from her. I think it's interesting that Luke contrasts that Zechariah was serving the Lord and Mary was a servant of the Lord. All Christians, even in your service, you can change your posture. Zechariah is serving, but somehow even doing Christian things can become things that we do rather than it's a being of who we are. And Mary is a servant. But I also want to remind you, Luke contrasts the stories once again, though, so how we can learn some things around them. But the message isn't dot, 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 be more like Mary and be less like Zechariah. No, the message of Christmas is that sometimes you're going to be Zechariah and other times you're going to be like Mary, but it's not your story. It is God who is working, who is greater than your story. Once again, it's a rescue mission that we need. It's not you do. It is Christ has done. This is Christmas. I think it's fascinating that Zechariah, from his unbelief, he goes silent for a season, and Mary, rooting in belief, sings a song. It's beautiful the way Luke just weaves the story together. And found within her song is an anchored hope for a weary world. This is what Mary sings, and I wish I could hear her tender teenage voice. In the midst of her song in Luke 149, she sings, for he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. Don't sanitize the story. Don't see Mary as the stained glass Mary on like a church wall. She's a teenage kid whose life has just got turned upside down, yet she sings, for he who is mighty has done great things, and holy is his name. Wow. Make no mistake, Christmas is the story of God with us, not us always being with God. If honest, sometimes we respond like Zechariah and other times like Mary. But the story of Christmas isn't that we must always perfectly be with God. That's the story of religion, and it kills. And it's also the story of secular humanism, and it equally kills. Notice the language of our culture is rooted in a forever changing not enoughness. 
Say it this way, now say it this way. Do it this way, do it this way. You do this, no, it's not good enough. No, it's not good enough. No, it's not good enough. How do we recognize the pattern of this? Some of you say, man, Canada has not, it's, it's losing its religion. Excuse me, Canada has not lost its religion. It's just shifted to a different one. How do you recognize it? Because this is the same thing. Whenever we as religions get our eyes off of God, we sing the same playbook. You're not good enough, do more. You're not good enough, do more. You're not good enough, do more. And now it is the language of secular humanism, and it will be of no end. And Jesus has come to set you free from that yoke, that that evil yoke, that you're never enough. In particular, if you are under 20 years old, you do not have to succumb to performance-based religion by faith in Christ and grace alone, you have been set free from that curse. Don't let the yoke of slavery come back on your shoulders. Your identity is not found in somebody else's approval of you. Your identity is found in a God who loves you. It is more anchored and true. That wasn't in my notes. That was just a freebie right off the dome. May the focus of your faith and your following be on a greater truth this Christmas, that is, God is with us. I'm gonna invite you to locate your communion element. And I want you to listen to the language in light of everything that we've just said. On the night when he was betrayed, after giving thanks, Jesus blessed it and broke it. And he said that it was his body that was going to be broken for the brokenness in us. And he said that we're to do it. We're to celebrate communion. And as often as we do it, we are to remember him, not you, not your circumstance. You're to remember him. And so whatever is broken in your life, in your family, in our nation, in your story, by faith, let us partake today, trusting that God is with us by faith, mending all things that are broken and making them whole. Let us partake together. And then after supper, he took a cup and said it was representative of his blood that was gonna be shed for the forgiveness of our sins and this juice is just representative of, there's no way to get this clean, this scarlet out, other than by the shed blood of Christ. And so that which is as scarlet as this juice, in Christ alone we become whiter than snow. In other words, he alone forgives and atones. And he said, remember that it is my work. And so we confess and we repent but we trust ultimately in his finished work. By faith, we receive his grace afresh today. We don't have to work out our sins. We trust that he has forgiven us. And then from forgiven, we bear fruit in keeping with repentance, not to earn repentance through penance. Very different way. Let's partake together. Our closing song today is not a carol but it is familiar. And so whether you are in a season where you are more like Zechariah or like Mary, to fix your focus, you just have to do one thing. 
Turn your eyes upon Jesus.